All right, good morning. My name is Derek, one of the pastors here. And uh, a couple things real quick with groups. We actually have two uh, unique groups. Um, one is Rooted, which isn't for the brand new believer, but it is. Um, and it's not for the seasoned believer, but it is. It's for everybody. Um, and it's really cool. It's actually really a practical way of, of getting into scripture and learning how to walk with God. And so if you've never done Rooted, you can sign up for that. It's going to be on Thursday nights. It starts a little bit later. Or financial peace. Um, if you're like the rest of us and you've wrestled with how to do your money well um, in a way that honors God but also is, is good for you in life, uh, financial peace is great for that. It's also going to be Thursday nights uh, here, so you can sign up for that. Um, if you notice, looking around, there's more kids in here than normal. Uh, it is a family service. And by the way, kids, I'm talking to you now, eyeballs, kids eyeballs. We do this on purpose. Uh, we don't do this just to give our teachers a break. We do this on purpose because you are part of the church. Every one of you kids, you are part of the church. You're not just here holding a space until someday you're old enough to be useful. You're actually in God's church right now. God loves you. He wants to use you right now in your family, in your church, in your school. Okay. So we want you to be in here to realize you're really, really important we think you're really important, and uh, the Bible tells us adults to have faith like a child, so you can help us be better. So you're not just here to color, although it's okay to color. In fact, even my wife sometimes colors while listening. Um, <laughs> it's helpful sometimes to doodle, and that's okay. Um, but this is going to be helpful for you also. And so I'm going to ask you this question, because when I was a kid, here's something I wrestled with. Am I saved or not? I remember every summer I'd go to camp, and I always had a piece of, I haven't been very good this year. Um, maybe I lost my salvation. Maybe I was never saved. Have you ever had that? Where, am I saved or am I not? I've been baptized, but I'm not perfect. Um, and maybe some of you adults have that same thing of, am I saved or am I not? Well, the Bible really is, is pretty clear that if you're saved, you're saved. Um, and we can get confidence in that salvation. So we're going to be in Romans 8 today. Turn to Romans 8. And in this, I hope that we can get some um, assurance and confidence that we're saved um, and, and why. Now, a word that we don't often hear is the word converted, right? Because sometimes when it comes to this idea of salvation, there are some who, who have, um, they've fallen into this lie that, of universalism. Everybody's saved no matter what. And so I'm confident in my salvation because everybody's saved. Well, that, that's not what the Bible teaches. But it does teach that if you're saved, you can be confident in that. Confident in that. Or there's others who are so confident in their salvation that it's by belief and faith alone that then they don't do anything. Um, and sometimes this is called carnal Christianity, right? Where there's like this claim that I believe, but, but just do whatever I want. And I really have no desire to follow um, or to get over my sin should that person have confidence in their salvation? So here's, here's the question we're going to ask and answer in Romans 8 today. How can you know that you're truly converted? I think that's a really good question. And what is the ultimate goal of our conversion? What is it? You know, last week we looked in Romans 8. Alex taught on, um, on the Spirit, walking in the Spirit. And, and one thing he said really stuck out to me that I, I actually took a note and then I circled it, and then I started a bunch. I don't know how you take notes. That's how I do it. Um, and it said, set the mind on God, obedience follows. Right? Because as we've gone through Romans so far, we've seen the idea that we're saved by faith, um, and then we're sanctified, something happens, 
Um, so how do, we, how do we do that? If, if we're supposed to not be okay with sin in our lives, how do we walk in victory? Uh, and right there, it's setting the mind on God, not trying in our strength to be good. It's really trying in our strength to set our mind on God, and then he'll do those things through us. So with that idea, he launches into this next line in Romans 8, starting in verse 12. He says, so then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. That's how he, he launches what he's going to share with us today. Because of this idea that it's not in our own strength, but when we set our mind on God, then he will work through us to, to have less sin, more holiness in our lives, which is the abundant life that increases peace and joy and hope in our lives. And because of that, he says, we have no debt to our flesh. The piece of us that was in Adam, right? The, the, the piece of us that wants to sin, because honestly, we all still have that. Um, the, the NIV translates that sinful nature, which I'm not crazy about, but that is a little bit helpful, that bent of ours away from God. We have no debt to that. So when those temptations rise up, if we understand this, it's like, nope, I don't owe you anything. I owe it all to God, to the Spirit. And so when we get that in our minds, there's a little bit of that's not who I am anymore. And so our, our debt then and it's not a duty debt, but kind of. Our debt then is to the Holy Spirit to walk his way to glorify him. So he starts that way. And then how can we have some confidence? We get some details. Verse 13 through 15, he says, For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. That is really cool. Now, to get into this, to understand where we're going, we need to go back uh, of what we've already seen a little bit through the Bible or through Romans of that we are justified by faith. So how is somebody saved, right? Here's the question. Do you know that you're saved, you're converted? Where does it start? It starts with understanding that you're saved by faith alone. You are justified by faith, not by any good works. Do we get that? Does God bring you into his family and save you because you're good? Kids? Yes? No? Because you're good? No. Not because you're good. Because he chooses to. Thanks for that, Flynn. <laughs> no, it's, it's not because we're good. We're justified by faith that Jesus was good enough, and he died on the cross and rose from the dead. So, going off of uh, Alex's illustration last week, we have this gift. This gift is conversion. This gift is salvation, right? That we are justified by faith, we're saved, and we get these things when this happens. And so, if you're like me, you like to open the gift, right? And so, you're going to find out what's in this gift of conversion and salvation, and the first one, and is your mom like, like mine, where when you do that, she picks it all up right away and folds it and saves it for next time? <laughs> anyway, the first thing in conversion that we pull out, justification, all right? So this is the first piece of the gift of salvation of conversion is justification, meaning you are right with God. That's what it means. Very simply, that God looks at you and says, you're good. I forgive you of your sins, and I love you. And you have eternal life. You get to go to heaven when you die 
and we're going to get to that a little bit later, so take a note. That's fun. But you are justified by faith. That's one of the gifts, okay? And you can be secure in that because he did it. It's his work on the cross. But when we are justified, right, when we're converted, we get some other things within that gift of justification. More than just being saved, uh, look back at something Alex taught last week, verse 9. Verse 9 says, You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. And we just saw that in the verses we read, that by the Spirit we put to death the deeds of the flesh. So here's another a gift that you get when you're justified, right? When you place your faith in Jesus, you get another gift. This one is the Holy Spirit, right? You get the Spirit to dwell in you. God comes and actually lives in you. I mean, in a very real way. And so with that Spirit, when we talk about how can we live better, how can we live the abundant life, it's by the Spirit because God actually comes to live in us And he starts to do some things. He gives us the power to do some things for him, for his glory. And so we get the Holy Spirit. That's pretty cool. So, right, when you're saved, you get another gift, the Holy Spirit. So if you've been saved, been baptized, that's part of conversion. We're not saved by baptism, but it's in there, right? Then you have the Holy Spirit done, no matter what. But then we get something else. Look at verse 15. It says, for you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. So when you are saved, you're justified, right? God says, good, we're good because Jesus died for your sins and you believe in him. You get the Holy Spirit and then you get another, oh my gosh, there's so much in here. You get adopted. Now you may be like, I love my parents. I'm good. Well, they're not good enough. You are adopted into God's family, meaning God, the God who created the universe, looks at you and says, you're my son. You're my daughter. That's where the name Christian comes from, right? Christian. You get his name. He's like, you are mine. You're in my family. Uh, Around Christmas, my favorite song is Feliz Navidad because Elise is, is my daughter here. And I change the words, and I sing, Elise, I'm your dad, right? <laughs> Elise, I'm your dad, and they, they always tell me to shut up, but I'll just keep, Elise, I'm your dad, and I'm the best one that you've ever had, right? Um, and she often will go, uh-uh, you're the second best. I, that's true. I mean, that's actually accurate when we understand Scripture and salvation that she has been adopted, and she has a way better dad than me, who's also my dad. So... You're adopted. You become part of it, and that's true. And I hope that part of this is that you internalize that because a good father, a good mother looks at their child, I love you no matter what. I want what's best for you. Sometimes you're going to get a swat because I love you, but I love you no matter what. That's how God feels about you. That's what this means, adopted, right? And so when we wrestle with, oh, am I good enough, all this stuff, a lot of this comes back to God just saying, you're mine, your mind. I want, I want you to behave. I want to help you be good. I want to help you have a great life. But regardless, I love you because you're mine. I adopted you. Done. So that's that part. Okay? So if the, if the note hasn't popped up because I'm all over the place, it's this. Every believer who receives the Holy Spirit 
is adopted as a son or daughter of God. That's it, adopted. Now look at verse 16 and 17, because there, you might be asking the question, well, is this me? Do I have these gifts? Am I justified? Am I saved? Verse 16 it says, The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. The, the Holy Spirit, this is in your notes, the Holy Spirit in us speaks to our spirit to give us confidence we belong to God. This is a little bit mysterious, so I'll be honest. But it's as if God is whispering in your ear, you're mine. You belong to me. Right? Our spirit, if the Holy Spirit dwells in us, there's some communication between our spirit and his spirit where he's, he's reassuring us, where we actually kind of feel him. And, you know, and I don't want to get too weird, but it's a little weird, but we feel him where he is convicting us. He starts to move in our lives. And practically, what does that mean? You start to love the things God loves. Are you perfect? No. But all of a sudden, you'll see things, and you're like, I'm seeing that different than I used to. Or for me, I remember in, in high school when, when there was a period where I really fell deeper in love with Jesus, and then I would hear people slandering Jesus. And it's kind of like nails on a chalkboard, which it hadn't been before. You, you know what I mean? There was a piece of like, oh, I love him. You're talking about somebody, I, right? And so his spirit in us changes us a little bit. We love what he loves. We, we start to hate the sin in our own lives, right? That goes back to, to uh, chapter 7, where we, we, this battle with sin that we hate, but he, we start to change. And that leads to this next gift. So we're justified by, by faith, right? We're saved. We get the Holy Spirit. We're adopted. But within this, there's another gift. This one is called sanctification, yeah, it's a big word, whatever, but remember it. Sanctification. This one is the process by which the Holy Spirit in us starts to change us, to make us more like Jesus. This gift of sanctification, again, it's him working with us. This is the one where we actually cooperate with God to change, to become more like Jesus. So he stirs in us that we, we start loving what he loves, and we start not liking sin, and because of that, the Holy Spirit, we start living differently we start changing the way we think we start changing the way we love other people he does this in us so sanctification is another aspect of conversion where a person is transformed over time into the image of christ you know verse 13 we already read it but let's go back verse 13 can be scary it says for if you live according to the flesh you will die and that means eternal death, separation from God. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Is that teaching salvation by works? It can look like that. If we take that verse alone, it can look like unless you get rid of sin in your life, you're, you're going to hell. But if you put to death those things and you behave, then you get to, that's what it can look like if you take it alone. But you have to take that into the context of the chapter, the book, the whole Bible, look back at Romans 8.1 real quick. It says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Amen. So they look like they contradict, but they don't. Because if you're saved, if you're justified, kids, listen to me, if you belong to him, 
you cannot lose your salvation, right? You will not be condemned. You will not be, uh, uh, you will not be disciplined eternally for your sins. We might get disciplined sometimes because he wants us to go, but we won't be condemned, meaning we won't be judged and sent to hell, right? So what is this verse 13 saying? Well, it's talking about this sanctification process, which is part of the same package, which will happen, which we will change over time. This is talking about really a pattern of life. This is speaking to my friends who said, I believe, that, I believe in Jesus, but I don't have to do anything. I'm going to live however I want. This is speaking to that person a little bit of, you might not be okay in your confidence if you see no change in your life. If your life is still patterned around all the same things that it was before you were saved, you're still pursuing, right? It's all about money. It's all about other pleasures. You know, if that's still what it's about, ooh, we need to be a little bit careful because Matthew 7, 21 to 23, Jesus says this. This is not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? Then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. This is not salvation by works, but this is salvation that works. Do you get it? If we get this gift, he's going to start changing us. And it's a good thing, and it's going to be a wrestle, and it's going to look different for different people. So we can't, we have to be careful looking at somebody else and judging them, like, well, you don't look good enough, you must not be saved. Ugh. We, we don't want to go there, but we can look at our own heart, right? Are, are we doing just religion, just good things, or are we doing no good things, right? Um, here, this, this process is kind of assumed. Scripture assumes that the person justified will also be sanctified. Again, it's a process. It looks different, but, but it's part of the package, right? It's part of the gift. And here's another part. Proof, this is helpful, proof that we're in the sanctification process is that we're led by the Spirit of God, verse 14. All who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. Now, again, some people will take that as, as really mysterious, right? You have visions, right? Or, or, or you're prophesying to each other, or you get this second blessing. You know, I've, I've had that said, oh, you can't be fully saved until you get a second blessing. No, everybody who's saved gets the Spirit, and they're led by the Spirit, meaning they have an inclination to follow where he wants to go. The main way he's going to do that is through Scripture, that's the main way he's going to teach us the directions to go, and we're going to have an inclination to go that way. Perfectly, no, but, but we want to go his way in general. We're led by the Spirit. Again, don't get legalistic, but how do you feel about God's Word? When you read it, are you, or do you not read it, because you don't want to hear what it says. I want to do this, and I know that's going to tell me something else, and so I'm just going to, you know, put that. Yeah, I don't need to look at that, right? Is that it? Or is there some you hear it, and you're like, oh, I don't like it, but because I do love God, yeah, okay, I need to go. What do you do with God's word? There's a piece of us that would be like the prophet of old, right, in the Old Testament, that would say, uh, your word is like honey to my lips, Remember the old song, thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Is that how you feel about God's word or is it one of those, I don't want to hear it and if I do, I'm not going to believe it anyway. 
How do we follow the Spirit? He's going to use his word. He's going to use his people also. The, the, the person led by the Spirit seeks to understand God's word, believes Scripture, and then strives to obey in the Holy Spirit's strength. Again, this isn't perfect. I remember going to camp when I was eight years old. Maybe I was nine. Any of you kids go to summer camp or things like that? But I remember when I was eight, I read the Bible, and I went home from camp, and I'm like, I'm going to read the Bible every day. And when I did, I, I love, like, God actually talked to me when I was eight. So you kids, God wants to show you things. And I would read my Bible on my own, and after a little while, I would lose the habit, right? I got out of it, and then maybe later back in. I mean, that's kind of the, the process, but as we grow in the Spirit, we'll be more in God's Word. But in His Word, He's going to lead us according to the Spirit. And in this, right, then in the sanctification process, we start obeying more. Galatians 5, 16 and 17, helpful verse. It says, but I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. That's walking in the Spirit. That's a gift. By the way, Sometimes we see this part as a duty, but it is a gift because the Holy Spirit helps us. And in that, we, we have a better life. I'm not talking money or success, but I'm talking joy. I'm talking peace. I'm talking hope. Those are real. But here's another proof, all right? If, if you still don't know, okay, Derek, you're not getting good enough. I want more proof. Look at verse 17. Verse 17, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we might also be glorified with him. Can we just highlight that part with a Sharpie? Kind of like some others, suffering, ah, right? I'm not, I'm not so crazy about that. But proof that we are in the sanctification process is that we willingly follow Christ into suffering. That's one of the proofs in our lives for us, is that when we suffer, we view it differently. Earlier in Romans, we already saw suffering, God uses it to produce good things in us. And so it makes us look at it with joy. That's weird. It just is, right? If suffering and trials come in your life and you're like, we can do this, that's weird. But there's a, and I'm not saying like, yay, I'm so glad we're suffering. Um, but, but a piece that goes, I, I trust God is going to do something great through this. He's going to produce in me endurance, greater faith, those things, and so I can have joy in this. There's some proof right there that God is at work in your life. Suffering. Final gift, though, okay? Final gift in here. Notice how it's, it's gold-colored. It's kind of cool. The, the, the last piece, glorification, okay? The last piece, justification, Saved by faith alone in the past. Right now we're in the process of where sometimes you sit here, you hear a pastor teach, you go home, mom and dad tell you some things that the Bible says, and, and you're starting to change to be more like Jesus. Well, what's, if we have to suffer, what, is it worth it? Guess what? It is. Verse 18, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy, are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. That the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption 
and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in pains of childbirth until now. And not only creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for the adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we are saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. This last gift, this one right here, glorification. The final state of the believer when we live on a perfected earth in a new body and our sanctification process is complete. Do you know that the battle is going to stop someday? The battle against sin? Someday, when Jesus returns, if we're alive, it's at that moment. Or it's when we die, we go to be with him and he returns at that moment, we get a new body, right? And there's some wrestle with like when these things happen in the end and, and different people can disagree, that's okay. But ultimately, the end result will be we have a new body on a new earth with God perfected. Our relationships are gonna be awesome. The things that we do are going to be awesome. If we are justified, we are in the process of being sanctified and someday we will be glorified. This is a guarantee because it's part of the package. It is a guarantee. These verses are kind of cool because it, it tells us some details of if we look around, right? Uh, there was a, a volcanic eruption recently, right? Huge. Um, tsunamis went and, and destroyed uh, islands and things like that. Those things happened. Tornadoes. Remember some tornadoes came through recently and just wiped out Amazon planters. I don't know, something, uh, whole right... There's these things, and this is talking about all of creation is, is groaning. These things weren't part of the original design. God created everything good. He created the animals great, the earth great, people perfect. All that was good. When we sinned, we messed it up. Thanks a lot, right? But yet, we've sinned too. So Adam and Eve sinned, we've sinned. It, it changed earth, right? I often refer to goat heads. That was one of those things that didn't exist before. Um, and now I think they only exist in Nevada, um, but they're the things that pop your bike tires. They're the reason you have to get the solid tires in your bikes. Uh, goat heads. Uh, working hard, right? Work was part of the original creation. But having creation fight against you in that work is, is different, is new. And so all creation is groaning as if, and it's personified, right? As if the trees are real. They're like, this isn't right. <laughs> this isn't the way it's supposed to be. And so it's groaning because it's going to be changed. God's going to fix it someday. And we groan. Now, these verses, who's groaning? Those who have the first fruits of the Spirit. So those who are saved, those who belong to Jesus, we are the ones that groan because we see sin in our lives. We're like, oh, I hate it. We cry out like Paul did in Romans 7. Oh, wretched man that I am, who will save me? And so we, we groan with this wrestle. We do things we don't want to do. We, we don't do the things we want to do, right? There's this groaning. Um, we hurt those we love with our words, and it's like, no, oh, why did I do that? But even, too, we're looking forward to what? We're looking forward to the time of glorification, the resurrection, it says, of our bodies, the redemption of our bodies, where those things will be removed. Do you know that the, the promise and the hope of the Christian, the Christian church has always been the physical resurrection of the body? Something has creeped in over the centuries of this idea that the spirit is good and the flesh is bad, and so we will just live spirit forever. That's not what the Bible teaches. In fact, uh, the Old Testament doesn't teach that either. 
And in Jesus' day, there were two different groups, Pharisees and Sadducees. They were both Jewish leaders. One group didn't believe in a physical resurrection. The other group did. Sadducees didn't. Pharisees did. And Jesus corrected them. He's like, those guys are the ones that are right in this area. There is a physical resurrection. And Paul is going to say elsewhere that if there isn't one, our hope is gone. In fact, we should throw this whole thing out if there is no resurrection. Because if there's no resurrection, Jesus didn't rise. And if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, that means his sacrifice on the cross wasn't accepted by the Father and we're still in our sins. So as the logic goes there, we are guaranteed a new body someday on a new earth. That's why we spent five weeks teaching on heaven. And I think the conclusion was I'm going to ride a T-Rex someday. Um, but we'll be on a perfected earth. It's going to be awesome. You want to ride with me? Yeah, yeah. But think of the things that we will do with God, with one another, on a perfected earth. That's what we're looking forward to. We will spend eternity in physical bodies on a physical earth, both perfect in perfect relationship with God. A lot of perfects in there. I can't wait. I can't wait. This is our hope. This is why if we understand a complete conversion, all of it, we get all these... Yeah, that's it. That's all the gifts we get, but they're pretty awesome. We're saved, right? We're changed, and someday it's going to be perfect, and we look forward to that. So you ever have any suffering here? I have a splinter right now. I mean, that's so little, but anyway, right? You guys ever have suffering? We look forward, and we can go through these sufferings looking forward that God is going to work it all. God is going to bring it together, and someday will be perfected, and it's going to be great. It's going to be a remade Eden. You want to know what eternity is going to look like? Read the beginning and the end of the Bible, right? You see Eden, Genesis 1 and 2, before sin comes in. That's the best picture probably. Not exactly the same, but of what it's going to be like. It's going to be great. Let's pray. Father, we love you. Uh, we thank you for your word. God, I thank you for all these gifts that you give us. Um, and I thank you that we can have confidence in our salvation. We can be sure that we belong to you as we look at the Holy Spirit, you in us, actually changing our desires. Uh, we can be confident as we look even at some of our obedience. God, we can be confident that someday, Jesus, you're going to return and it's going to be perfected. And we hope that soon. A part of this hope is that we look for it with longing and we do look for it with longing. God, we cannot wait for you to come back. We cannot wait for you to make it perfect. We are groaning because we know there's something still a little bit not the way it's supposed to be. But yet we thank you, Holy Spirit, that you dwell in us and that you're in the process of changing us and it's guaranteed. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.